Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Undercooled. Today, we're here with Professor Willie Rockward from Morgan State University. I've known Willie for many, many years when I started to go down to Morehouse College to recruit students for my research experience for undergraduates program in France, the optics in the city of light. And I got to sit in and watch Willie teach physics to his students at, at an HBCU. And it was amazing. I've since maintained a relationship with Willie for many years, and we've even had a student from uh, Morgan State who went to our program last summer. Um, but I've really seen what he's done to the National Society of Black Physicists, how he helped revive the whole organization that was in pretty severe financial shape. And now they're in pretty amazing financial shape and probably largely because of Willie and his vision. And when he talks, it's great. So Willie, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? How did you get into physics? How did you start teaching? And what are you doing now? Wow, wow, wow. Well, Steve, thank you first and foremost for inviting me to, to you know, participate in this podcast and uh, just to share, share my pathway and things I do. Um, yes, we did meet a while back. Uh, <laughs> and um, I think it had a very fruitful, very fruitful um, engagement. Well, a little bit about me. I, um, I'm a Louisiana boy, um, born in the bayous of Louisiana, South Louisiana, below New Orleans. Believe me, there's a city below New Orleans. Um, but then also I uh, did my undergrad and all that stuff. Well, how I got into physics was very strange. Okay, I got into physics through football. I, I was a football player, high school football star, running back, receiver, kickoff return, punt return, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but my, my real, so my passion really was football at the time. And, uh, but I wanted to play for, uh, Grambling, a very famous coach, Eddie Robinson at Grambling State University in Louisiana. That's in Northern, the Northern part of Louisiana. And I just, anyway, I tried on, made the team. All they offered me was a physics scholarship, but I tried on and made the football team and, and, um, I made it and played for coach Rob for about maybe two, three weeks in practice. Cause the linebacker hit me so hard and I was like, okay, yeah, I can't keep doing this, <laughs> but nevertheless. Um, and since then I've been in the physics hot and heavy. Um, but anyway, uh, we was at Morehouse, you know, I was a professor at Morehouse about six, five, six years ago, uh, about 20, for about 20 years. And, uh, now I'm at Morgan state, uh, chair of the department of physics here. And, uh, we're having a great time. Um, so that's a quick, very snippet of my of me, but I I'm engaged in all levels of, of mentorship with students. My um, expertise is is in the area of optics and lasers. Uh, did the re uh, research more in diffractive optics, uh, lithography, nanolithography, things of that nature, and been doing a little bit recent um, recent um, research in some metamaterials and things like that. So fantastic. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I think our materials community would love to hear from you mm -hmm. is um, what do we need to know at our primarily white institutions about African-American students? And, you know, there's we get students from Africa and they're mm -hmm. different than students from America. Yeah. And so I want to I know that you've primarily focused on American, African-Americans. So um, 
what do we need to know about African-American students? Because where I want to go with this is I want to learn how we can do the best possible job to support them, make sure they feel like they belong, and make sure that we meet them wherever they are and bring them forward so they're successful. So what should we need to know about African-American students? Okay, that's a a good question. That's a solid question. Um, I mean, it's, uh, in a sense to me, it's it's both. Yes, you need to know about African-American students and some distinguishing factors, okay? Um, And, and, you know, history makes a big, history lays out a lot too of your culture and, and your situation and your perspective. All right. Um, and uh, with African-Americans, so you got to understand they, they all don't come with a standard background. Right. They don't come all prepared for physics or the material science. Um, they many of them come with uh, like, like they, they come like as raw material. OK. Meaning like, OK, you know, uh, in, in the you know, in the raw, if you but if you if you able to process it some and deal with it some, you'll be able to refine it and get it to where it needs to be in. And that means, okay, some have um, other issues, you know, non-academic issues that affect their academics, okay? And then there's some come, you know, just solid, straightforward. Um, but a good thing you need to know is that uh, we are a relational people, all right? Um, African-Americans are relational, meaning like, I'm not going to really get to know you or feel belong unless I unless I, I, I feel you out for my good, for the, for my, for my improvement, for my betterment. Um, and that takes an opportunity to get to know you more than just in the classroom. Okay. But I begin to know you from the classroom, your classroom dynamics, from your classroom perspectives, from your classroom uh, assignments, from, from, you know, how you would engage with me as, as I'm watching you engage with other students too. Okay. Uh, are you just being, are you giving me a special kind of way and giving other other students another kind of way? No, no. If you're gonna, if I, if all of us are your students, give us all the same way. Okay. If you're gonna be hard on me, you be hard on everybody. If you're gonna be, uh, you know, give this student some opportunities, give all your students opportunities. So just, you know, uh, come with a, a consistent, a consistent um, approach and a consistent, and that begins to open allows me as an African American student to want to open up and get to know you more as a professor um and respect you in that in that regard so yes it's 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 not as difficult as it sounds it really is you know uh being consistent and and being genuine to all students and especially you know african-american students too and that 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 way we will see that we're we're part of part of your group of students period Mm -hmm. that's great and um so you've been at, you know, Morehouse, and now you're at um, Oregon State. And you've been dealing with students who come from, like you said, a very wide range of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And some of these backgrounds are really backgrounds that are pretty tough. Students who come from very underprivileged economically and also uh, dangerous childhoods. Mm-hmm. With um, So... How do you, how do you help the students who come from the worst backgrounds? How do you do you engage the other students to help you? Um, from what I saw, the whole 
ethos of the institution is all around helping others. I'll never forget the first uh, Nesby meeting I went to at AUC. There's a woman from uh, Spelman who is the uh, president. The room was packed. And they started by saying, well, we're going to start this by standing up and reciting our mission. And I'm like thinking, oh, my God, that's ridiculous. You know, who cares about mission statements? And then I heard it. And I was so moved. It was almost religious because their mission statement was all about reaching down and helping their brothers and sisters have the opportunities that they've been blessed to have themselves. It's like, that was powerful. Now, this doesn't happen. I mean, it might happen in Nesby meetings here, but it it's not part of our ethos the way it is at an HBCU. So maybe at an HBCU, how you leverage that to help the students with the most disadvantaged backgrounds, the students who are further behind along in your physics class. Well, well yeah, uh, you hit you hit some of the good points um, in bringing them along is that they got, you know, part of it is, is to bring someone along, they need to be belong to bring them along. Right. OK. And and to do so, um, they you got to see where they what areas that they would fit in. OK. What areas uh, they seem to have some connection to. OK. And so I as I one of the things I always do to help my students with, with different backgrounds um, worse, the worst ones, and even some with the better ones, you can say, I always pull them into my office and have a one-on-one. Okay. A one-on-one. And I, and I listen to them carefully. I ask them, I ask them a basic question, you know, what's your, what's your passion? Where do you see yourself? Okay. You like you 18, 19, maybe 20, add 10 years to yourself. And where do you, what do you see yourself doing? Okay. So, I try to drive home, find out what their passion. And then I say, OK, well, then once they they start talking and some of them may say, I don't know. You know, I say, OK, but what do you like? <laughs> OK, so I, I, I keep the, the question around them. OK, and they as they engage with me, I, I listen intently and I write I make mental notes, mental notes, what is unique with them. And so therefore, as I'm going into the classroom, I try to make sure I'm pointing uh certain opportunities and certain uh you know uh even some certain material that may you know overlap their background so i don't necessarily call them out on the spot but i i give them opportunity to respond to me so when they when they when we are talking one-on-one in my office i also share with them some of my personal challenges i have to keep reminding them like look you seeing me at at a refined state you know, I'm not, I wasn't always this way. You know, I had, we, it's, we go through a growth pattern and, we, and all of us, I say everyone, the professors, all of us have had our challenging point too. I say, but every last one of us also had someone who was like a champion for us. Someone who helped us along and they didn't have, they didn't have, it was, they didn't have nothing behind it. You know, they didn't have any hidden agendas or anything. They wanted to help you. Uh, they wanted to help me and help uh, us become the best people we can become. Okay. And, and I said, that's the same thing I'm trying to do for you. I want to give you my support. I said, but I'm also, I'm also expecting you to put forth your best effort. I'm expecting you to let me know when you need some help or you, you feel like you can't quite make it or you just don't know, or you just want to sit down and just want to chat. Okay. 
So I make sure that they're engaged and they don't see me as this, I'm the one, you know, some savior to, to solve all their problems, but I also help them to see that, hey, I am a resource for you to be here, to help you out. Uh, and you got to take advantage of it, you know, as best as we can. And so when they start feeling that after a couple of meetings, they begin to start really, I mean, I saw some, I saw seeing them really, really grow. That's awesome. And when I saw you teach in the classroom, you were tough on those students, really tough. And it was uniform, all of them. But when I walked out and talked to the students, they all loved you. And they loved you because you love them. And so I, I walked, what I got from that is you had this pedagogy of tough love. And I just think that was amazing. And I wish I could do what you did. And uh, so any advice for how to be tough on your students and still make sure that they love you, that you love them? Like, how do you communicate that you love them, even though you're being tough on them? Oh, uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know my secret sauce yet on that one, but I, I give you some um, tough love. Well, to me, it's like, you know, I try to make sure they know I, okay, this is one thing I always tell them too, is I, I tell them I have a motto. I say my motto from all of my classes is hard but fair. I say hard but fair. And I say, really, y'all, I'm not really that fair. Uh, and they were like, well, what you mean? I said, well, you really don't want me to be fair to you because if I be fair, fair, that means I only give you what you made <laughs> or, you know, or, or, you know what, or what it is or what the facts say. I say, but... I also look at, you know, I, 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 lay, I, I weigh in you as a person, okay? I weigh in your effort. I weigh in all those things, those factors that, you know, uh, I say, and to be honest with you, a lot of professors do that. We, we look at our students, you know, from, from where you've come. We've seen, we look at your trend and how you've grown in this class. Um, so I say, but I'm, but I say, but what I will do for one of you, I will do for every last one of you all. But that also means what I will not do for one of you, I won't do for nobody. Okay, I say so you can count on me being that. Okay, and and um, and I say and then I try to help them also grow out of their out of their the me the me myself and I mindset. But I say I said okay, I said you got to remember this. I said you got you got to learn to follow the lead of your professor or the lead of whoever's in charge or responsible for this class or or whatever it may be. It may be on your job, okay? I said, you got to understand, especially in the class, that we as professors, first of all, this is not our first rodeo. This is not our first time teaching this class in most cases. I said, but the bottom line, even if it is our first time teaching the class, we know what we're going to put on the exam. <laughs> we, know what we, we know what the class is going to look like from the, for the whole length of the, of, the, of the semester. I said, you don't. I said, so... What you got to do, you got to lean on my, okay, on, on that, okay. So you got to get in my mindset as a professor. I say, so when you start thinking about it from that perspective, you will be able to start listening to me and picking up on me and picking up on stuff that I'm really emphasizing and things like that. And some stuff that I'm telling you, hey, go and finish that. You know, that's that's like a hint saying, you're going to see that again. <laughs> and so, so, um, so I kind of coach them along the way. And when, when we outside of the classroom, they see the same guy. They don't see somebody who I, I look down on them um, or anything like that. You know, I, I mean, I keep them in the proper perspective. 
they do address me by my title, Doc. You know, you know, uh, Dr. Rockford. Well, most of them can't call me by my last name. They, you know, so they just call me Dr. Rock. Okay, and I told them that's fine. That's fine like that. But you know, and we we have a, a, a mutual respect, a professional mutual respect, both in the classroom and outside the classroom. Now, yes, in the classroom, I got some rules and regulations, and like. One of my rules, especially at Morehouse, and, and, and even I brought up here at Morgan, in, in my physics class, you can't write in a pencil. They know if I see a pencil hanging out your book bag, I'm going to kick you out my class. <laughs> and they're like, what? I said, yes. I said, because in the physics arena, we, we've learned to write things down. So we, we learn to be intentional in our thoughts. And we try to be careful. And then so, we, so when we write in, in pen, if we make a mistake, we just draw a line through it and start writing to the left or to the right, because sometimes we think we were right, we were doing something wrong, but we actually was doing it right. But if you scratch it out and you use a pencil, you're going to erase and you won't have nothing to compare it to. I said, so in physics, we're not afraid to make mistakes. We learn from our mistakes. I said, and that's what we want to keep driving home, driving with you. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Now, some mistakes you shouldn't be making because you saw them other people make those mistakes, <laughs> right? I said, so some stuff you should not be doing. But there's some there's some new mistakes to be made because there's some new problems to be solved. And so and so when they start seeing that perspective, and I, and I, I even share with them some of the mistakes that I've even made in my personal life. OK, um, along the way where I'm at now. And and they're like, wow, Dr. Rock, I, I say, no, I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm human like you. I still make mistakes. And I, but I said, that's just some stuff I've grown past. And um and so they, they, that opens them up and they get the chance to see me as a human, a human as I've grown and matured on my pathway and that they're more, they're more susceptible and willing to jump on their pathway, which may not be a common one. So I try to, so I'm trying to motivate them as I also, you know, push them. And I think that, I think that's that mixture of tough love. So they, so they, they're willing to, they're willing to receive the correction and the toughness of behind me. Because they know I love them, right? You know what I'm saying. They know I care about them. So, and you reveal your human side, and you don't do that unless you really love somebody. Yes, that's true. So that's that's really awesome. So, um, at our institution, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're involved in a new DEI effort. I actually was on a listening panel talking about their new DEI 2.0. And I got a little upset at the people because it's written like administratium. It's like, <laughs> here's what we're going to do for rec recruiting. Here's what we're going to do for retention. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Hold, hold on. You know, for, first of all, and then the pathway for each of these things was uh, talks and training. I'm like, well, why is the knee-jerk reaction for academia to solve every problem with a lecture? Mm. It's like, why are you even doing that? Why don't you focus on what is the problem and how are we going to solve it? I said, how can you talk about recruiting when we have a large number of African-American students who have told us that they don't feel like they belong? Don't we have to work on that first? Because who's the best people to recruit 
It's mm. students. Yes, that's and right true. now we've been told that sometimes some students will go to Nesby and Nesby students will say, oh, don't come here. This is not a good environment. It used to be better. It used to be really good. And we're, we're struggling. And so I, I stood up and said, you need to solve this problem first. You need to understand why they don't feel like they belong. And we need to correct that. And you shouldn't give faculty credit for going to DEI talks. You should give faculty credit for doing direct action things like how many underrepresented minorities are they including in their research lab? Mm -hmm. How many recruiting trips are they going on? Mm -hmm. How many students are they mentoring who are underrepresented? And this is true for all, you know, it's not just African-Americans, it's all of our um, underrepresented minorities. It's also mm -hmm. our transfer students. They're really at risk. They come in and they don't know anybody. Right. And so I've been trying to focus them on doing things that I think are important, which is, what can we do to make our students feel more welcome? And um, this is kind of a problem for us that you don't really have, I don't think, at an HBCU, because the whole institution is focused on making everybody feel welcome. But then they come here and we blow it. So what advice do you have for us so we don't blow it? How can we make our students feel welcome across the whole institution. Wow. Wow. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's going to take up the rest of this podcast, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but I, I can give you a couple of nuggets. Um, and, and you kind of hit one major nugget is that it has to be institutionalized. The institution has to see that all of its students, Okay. Yes. Yes. Underrepresented minorities, but everybody is important. All of my students are important and my faculty is important and my staff is important, right? Because, you know, if we don't have the infrastructure and support structure, we can't get our students through. So all of us are important. All right. Um, and so one of the biggest thing I, I've always tried my best to do and I share with them is, okay, to, to really help a student feel belong, it's going to take um, extra time. It's going to take uh, extra exposure. It's going to take um, uh, you, you know, you know uh, it's going to take a whole village to kind of do. You can't, no one person can do it all. But as a village, a collective, we can, we can get it done, right? Because there's some areas like, say, you, you, Steve, you're very good. You're very uh encouraging you very uh you know motivational in the sense you you you, you a, a student whenever i send any of my students to you excuse me and your and the optics and lights program they always say that you all made sure that they were engaged with the group and you and what you required of them you required of everybody <laughs> okay and 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 that's important uh when there's when when students especially underrepresented minorities see a uniform uh uniform rule and and also expectation okay of everybody they start and they start realizing okay well this is this not does not have to do with race creed or color this is one of the standards that we all got to meet and everybody's meeting it okay and every and you're helping me to meet it you're not just giving me this 
this this standard to meet and not helping me to understand and, and things like so you're also making ways and resources for me to help so providing resources providing um you know uh insight guide and like you say sometimes structuring opportunities for them to get into study groups right because if you come as a transfer student or you come in as a dual degree engineering student who spent two two or three years at another institution and now you come into uh, this right. major institution <laughs> or or even as a gra- undergrad going to graduate school at, at you know at your institution in michigan you know, I'm going to a whole new culture. I'm going to a whole new environment. Okay. And it's good to have somebody there who I can relate to and connect to. And, and they don't always have to look like me. Okay. But it'd be good to have something that does look like me, but also to know that they're, that everyone don't have to look like you to want you to be a part of the community. Okay. Yeah. We're just starting some programs. So in our um, literature sciences and arts college, Mm-hmm. They have some very good uh, study group systems where people can sign up for a time. And once you have 15 people, you know, that one's closed. Then they pay a student who did well in the course, who's now a upperclassman. They pay that student to mentor that study group. Wow. And they do it on Zoom. So you have no idea who's in the study group until you first meet. But the benefit is you actually get a, a student, someone your age who knows the material, who can help drive the conversation. And I think this is great. So I've asked if we can do that in engineering. And I've actually gotten a lot of support. I think the, the deans like this idea. It's not that expensive. And uh, we've, I actually found out that some of the other departments were already doing things like this. And we're going to do it just for... We're just going to use um, what's that uh, tool called? Um, oh, that you know, my wife did it for for um, for when my kids were in high school. Um, the Sign Up Genius with a free Sign Up Genius account, you can have students sign up for different times, and it doesn't cost anything. We just pay the student, and you know, I love paying undergrads eighteen bucks an hour to teach other students because it's like the first time in their life they ever got paid for what they just paid all that money for. Right. And they're actually (laughs) using what they just learned and making money. I think that's a wonderful thing. And so I do that in my class and, you know, I'm I'm not going to convince my, the other faculty to do what I do, but I use team-based teaching in all of my classes. And so I have, I make the teams and I make the teams based on the diversity in the classroom, making sure I don't strand a URM, make sure there's at least two or two women. But we have so much diversity in our classes. Like with, I, I, I teach a class where I have, you know, first year through fourth year. Mm-hmm. I teach a class where I have all these different departments. This term I'm teaching an archeology span class with an archeology span professor. And so we have people who are sociology majors, who are business majors. Last year, I even had one of the hockey team uh, <laughs> players who left in the middle of the term because he got drafted by the New Jersey Devils. <laughs> but um, when you have all those different voices, not only will people start to understand and value diversity for what it can bring to the success mm-hmm. of a team, it also creates built-in study groups. Because the team has to stick together. And I, you know, 
teach them. And then I hire instructional aides, which are undergrads, to help mentor these teams. But I quickly realized they should rename it. IA shouldn't mean instructional aid. It should be inclusion ambassador. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they watch these teams and they're their age. And I tell everyone they're going to do this. If you're an introvert and you just sit there and don't say anything, you're not helping yourself, right? No one's going to know that you have something of value to give to the rest of the team. And, you know, it goes right back to your football roots. You know, we had our coach, Bo Schembechler, who painted famously on the tunnel, the team, the team, the team, <laughs> right? Nothing matters except the success of the team. And guess what? That's where all of our students end up in industry. It's all about the team. And so you have to help the other members of your team be the best they can so the team can be the best they can. Mm -hmm. And so they pull the introverts aside and say, you know, hey, I, I know this is tough, but I'm going to, you know, later on, I'm going to be calling on you. And it's not because I'm trying to be mean. I just need you to let others know that you have something valuable to say. And we do the same with the extroverts. We tell them, you have to learn how to listen. <laughs> you, you can't. <laughs> I had a student once, he got marked down on a project because all of his teammates hated him. And he came, came up to me <laughs> and he goes, I did everything for that team. It was my idea. I did all the research. I built the project. I was the one who did everything. And I said, I hear you. I hear you. And you didn't let anyone else do anything. And they were pretty upset about that. And so that's why you got marked down because you didn't let others have a chance. And so I'm sorry, that's a tough lesson to learn this way, but mm -hmm. that's how we do it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there's lots of techniques and I wish more faculty were open to, I mean, it's, it comes down to what you said. The institution has to change. Yes. Yeah. How do I convince my colleagues to do this? You know, I, I once, so we get accredited by a group called ABET mm -hmm. for engineering. And I have a good friend who's way up high in ABET, and they're now going through uh, diversity DEI criteria for ABET. It's very difficult. Wow. So they haven't quite done it. But what he told me was really valuable. He says, listen, it's not about so much giving people an unfair advantage or any of that. It's about the fact that our students are going to get an industry and they're going to work with diverse teams. Mm -hmm. They have to learn in school how to work with a diverse team so Correct. they hit the ground running when they go to industry. Correct. I just thought that was an interesting perspective. That, yeah, that, that's a full perspective when you actually look at it. Um, and, and, and diversity of the team is, is, is becoming more than, is more than just national now. It's, it's global. It's, oh, it's yeah. thing, you know, um, the most successful teams, right. Are, 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 are being very effective, uh, not just in their regional or national area. They're being effective globally in, in a variety of countries and things like that. So you're right. Uh, yeah. that's something we got it. We have to train our, which means we have to retrain ourselves sometimes. That's right. Yeah. But, you know, you just look at football again. Why did we win the national championship this year? Mm. We won because we had an amazing defense 
and we had an amazing offense. And we had all these different players that had all these different strengths. It was incredibly, you win football games by having tremendous diversity where you need it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you make sure you play as a team. That's that's true. That's true. Um, and you just got to continue to stay stay at it um, and look at the variety that everyone brings to the table. I just believe the institution is going to make a going to make a big it has to come from the top. OK, um, I think there can be a grassroots movement, too. Um, but they have to be able to see that, OK, our that the top they are they're just as in, you know, uh, they're just in support of it as well as we go into grassroots um, right. so to make it institutionalized. So. Mm -hmm. And I hope that's happening in Michigan. You know, it's, uh, I think our new president is very focused on this. You know, mm -hmm. he's a um, Asian American. And when okay. he was living and when he was growing up, he, he felt lots of racism and it hurt him personally. And he talks about it. And so I know he's really committed but um, it's really hard to change an institution. Mm, mm. It's still really hard. And I wonder, maybe by being more engaged with faculty at HBCUs mm -hmm. would help teach our faculty. I know I learned so much by going and visiting you and mm -hmm. the other faculty who were down there. Um, it was really important for my growth as a human being to see how powerful that kind of an institution can be. And that's one reason I asked you to be on this podcast, because hopefully we can give that to others. But how can more faculty from, you know, primarily white universities get involved with faculty there? And, and I know there's been a lot of abuse of white you know, primarily white institutions trying to get money by, you know, at the last minute partnering on a research grant and all of that. And that's not helpful to anybody. And hopefully yeah. our funding institutions will figure that out. But um, how can um, faculty and especially materials programs, because, you know, guess what kind of graduate students we love the most? We love physics graduate students, you know, or physics undergrads who can come in because all the concepts in material science are either physics or chemistry concepts. Yes. So, you know, and most of us come from different fields. I was a math major. I was not a material science undergraduate. And wow. most of our faculty were not material science majors. We were all chemistry or physics. And uh, so I think, you know, we need really good students. What, how can they get engaged say Morgan State? I, I would say, you know, that's something Morgan State is doing. Um, we, we made it recently, well, the past couple of years, our our president, uh, actually, we is into like institutional partnerships, uh, where we partnering with um, Purdue University, uh, across the institutions. Okay, not, not just say in our physics departments or in our engineering departments, but literally across the institutions where they're doing a lot of um, dual degree programs, um, uh, two-way exchanges, 
right? Because because many students at a predominantly white institution would love to spend a semester or two or even do a degree program at a HBCU. It's it's you know, and 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 so things of that nature is is making it much more real and engaging for the faculty because the faculty at both institutions need to be in partnership. We are the infrastructure, you know, the infrastructure for for our students that comes in, right? As a new student comes into the institution, they're going to meet pretty much the same faculty within good reason, and so the faculty need to be connected. To, um, to, uh, uh, to, you know, to HBCUs and likewise to PWIs so that we can, we can form a good, I, I call it a good um, pipe, a, a good mm-hmm. pipe for a, a very robust pipeline. You want a pipeline of students, that means you, in order to get the students flowing, you need to have a good pipe and the pipe is a, is a faculty. And so we can, we can continue to work together like that. We'll, we'll, you know, we, we'll be able to give our students a lot more opportunities and they'll get a sense of belonging, say, at a, at a, like say, an under, underrepresented minority coming from HBCU, we get a greater sense of belonging by already being connected to the, to the, um, the PWI before they even get there. Okay. Right. In fact, that's, and that's how they, be, they really, their pro- productivity level really goes off the roof. It, I mean, you just, just see them really, really blossom. Now, NSF has some very interesting programs to help facilitate some of this with their PREM program. Yes. How does, how does a PWI get involved with a minority-serving institution to start a PREM? I presume it's first you need relation, good relationships with the faculty. Yes, yes, that's, that's true. I mean, that's, what, that's, that's what's going on with us in Morgan right now. We have a PREM grant, and we, you know, in materials. And and so we we actually um, connect with uh, PWIs, John Hopkins, Penn State, things like that in in uh, different areas where we have some strong overlap in our fields. Um, I mean, in, in in the types of material, two D materials and things like that. That's where you begin to really really establish some great great collaborations. And guess what? The prim becomes becomes easy, and it, and it's both sides, right? Not only for the prim. For the HBCU, but then the PWI have other other programs that they want to apply to, and they have a, a true collaboration with the, with faculty at HBCU, and they can actually go out and win a lot more grants. That's great. Well, and we actually, exchange of students a lot too. That's right. So yeah. we just got a uh, MRSEC that just started about three weeks ago. Wow! And uh, it's run by Rachel Goldman. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of Rachel's students is um, Jared Mitchell. Remember Jared? Jared Mitchell? Yeah. Yeah. He was one of your students. Yes. He yeah. went to the optics in the City of Light, and he's about to graduate. What an amazing student. <laughs> and so I, I will be calling you in a very short time to ask about how we might write a prem together. Okay. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. 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 But I think, you know, that's a good, important um, message to other materials programs mm-hmm. of how they can start to develop a relationship with an HBCU. But I, I think it has to be predicated on mutual respect. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can't just write it and say, hey, will you put your name on this? You know, we have to sit down 
and do it collaboratively to say, what's, what can we do that'll be really unique for both of our institutions and what, what's going to, you know, match with the passions of the people who are actually involved. So, yeah, that is, that is so true. Um, and, and, and also, um, it'd be a two way street as, as, as you bring proposals to me, I bring proposals to you and say, Hey, can you help me, you know, you know, strengthen this proposal. Can we work together with this and, and see how we can you know, put together a strong, a strong um, proposal um, that, that we may win too. So that's great. Two way street. Yeah. So I had had one last question, but I think you kind of answered it. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask, um, you know, how should materials programs make sure we're supporting African-American students and guaranteeing their success and what does success look like? Mm. I think you answered that. Success is what the student wants success to be. And we need to ask the student, what do you view as success? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, but you got to also keep in mind that sometimes they don't know. I know. Yeah, of course. And so, but, but it's also good when, you know, but allowing them to first engage, you know, and come to the realization that they, they don't quite know yet then you can start feeding them some ideas. Say, hey, have you tried this? Have you considered this? You know, um, uh, it, you, for this student, it looked like this, you know, and and then, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you, you ask yourself, well, where do I really want to be? Okay. And you let them know that you don't have to know right now. Okay. Right. Not always. That, that's fine. Okay. Uh, many of us, I mean, I didn't know I wanted to be a physicist until after, uh, really until after my uh, my junior senior year, okay, junior senior year undergraduate, um, I know I wasn't going to be a football player by my freshman year, <laughs> but I didn't really get the physicist part until I was about you know in my um, my fourth year as a, as a senior. I had I, I spent five years uh, in my undergrad, which I tell the students you know it's 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 all right, okay, it's all right, it's yeah. good. To have uh, another year, if you can, uh, as an undergrad, because it helps helps strengthen, you know, broaden your uh, um, your knowledge base. So, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to be a dentist because my dad was a dentist, and I would just take over his practice. Wow! But then I went to the um, exam, the pre dental exam, and I saw these people throwing airplanes at each other, little paper air, and it was just so lame. I just I'm like, wait a minute, I can't go to school with these people. I got up, walked out, and started looking at engineering programs. Wow. Okay. okay. So wow. you're right. You never know. And uh, <clears throat> it's it's important to make sure people keep options open and mm-hmm. explore and get experience. So I'm, I'm our undergraduate advisor. You know, I tell all the students, you know, your summers are, you should be getting internships. You're going to make a lot of money. But more importantly, you're going to learn what it's like in industry and you should try some big industries and some small industries. And even if you go for a PhD, where do you think you're going to work when you finish your PhD? You're going to probably work in an industry. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have all sorts of uh, career fairs and we have a weekly lunch where we bring people in from industry and graduate schools. And I tell them, you got to go to these. These are really important to go to because this is giving you information so when you graduate, and you don't have to decide till the very last minute, but mm-hmm. you, you might apply to companies to go to, 
You might apply to PhD programs. You might do what you need to get a one-year ma a master's. And you don't have to decide which of those you're going to do until one month before you graduate. So yeah. keep your options open. And then won't it be wonderful if you have to make a hard decision? <laughs> which, which echoes, which to me, I always echo to them. There's some problems you like to have. That's right. Yeah, because it, it's a tough problem to choose what your path is going to be. But it, you know, that's why I think every student needs to do research. They might hate it. They might think it's terrible. And that's okay. They learned, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it might also completely change their lives. It changed mine when I got to do research. Mm -hmm. I think you told me a great story when you went to Bell Labs to do research. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's how it opened up my eyes quite a bit. Um and I always tell my students too, plus doing the research, especially during the summer, you get to see all the stuff that you've learned in the class, in class, how it really applies. I mean, this stuff that we're teaching you all, it really has some true, strong, practical applications, okay? Oh, yeah. And, and uh, sometimes they don't get a chance to really see that. Right. We're, we're, not, we're not just applying gratuitous violence to our students. <laughs> it's actually useful. Well, I'm also, um, I've been told by um, some people in our physics department that our application is progressing to host National Society of Black Physicists in 2026. So yes. I'm hoping that comes through because it'll be fantastic to see you come up here to Michigan and um, have that whole group because what a great group that is. I've really enjoyed going to those meetings and uh, it's great. I, well, I, I I I like to tell you, man, that that has been confirmed. Now we will oh, be coming has. to the University of Michigan in twenty twenty six. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, so I hope yeah. everybody who's listening to this comes to that meeting <laughs> because even if you think you're doing material science, this is where you're going to find amazing physics undergrads. They have money to bring. How many undergrads do you typically bring? Uh, around 350 to 400. Yeah, 350 to 400 students, undergraduate physics students come to this meeting and you can buy a booth and uh, advertise your program. And it's really, really rewarding. So I, I hope, I mean, you don't have to wait till we have it at Michigan. You can do it. Where's it going to be next year? I would encourage you to, to come this year. Um, well, the next two, three years, we're going to yeah. be doing it, a special one. Um, 2024, 25, and 26, we'll be doing it in conjunction with the National Society of Hispanic Physics, too. Right. So both organizations, uh, we decided to come together, work, you know, collaborate on a conference for three years, three consecutive years. And um, we're looking forward to it. We're going to be in Houston in 2024. Uh, it looks like we're going to be, looks like we're going to be in San Jose in 2025. And we are definitely locked in for the University of Michigan in 2026. Fantastic. Anything else you'd like to mention that you think is important for our materials programs to hear before we close out? Um, I, I think we I think we cover the gamut. Um, there's oh, one thing I did want to mention. Um, you and I had a chance to talk, a little pre-talk about some sensitivity training. Okay. Right. Um, that since to me, that is that would be a great thing for yes for say um majority uh uh faculty to get a to get an understanding 
right, of, of that of, of underrepresented minorities and things like that. But I believe really it's it's good for everyone, okay? Because um, what I've been trying to expose my students to is that, hey, you got to understand the environment you're going into, right? It's, it's a combination. Everybody won't be able to adjust the whole world to you, okay? So that's it. So you got to also learn the culture, right, of a predominantly white institution, right? They focus a lot more on research and learning new things, okay? And and sometimes, you know, we take out, you know, we take out the relational side of things, but we realizing that we have to pull it in within good reason. Um, so I do think it's great to have that sensitivity training um, um, for both, but but primarily, if I'm a if I'm a, at a predominantly white institution, I do need to have some sensitive training about HBCU or about African Americans, so I can so I can at least be equipped to to be a, to be uh, I would say on the positive side of things instead of the negative side. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, and so and thank all of you who tuned in and are listening or watching on YouTube. Uh, I understand that transcripts are coming to podcasts now. Apple has announced that uh, we can put transcripts in so people can read this, they can listen to it, and uh, I think it's great. So thank you so much, Willie, and thank all of you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Steve.